Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Yes Sir Hater. As usual, my name is Mark and I am with... With me, mate, Dennis here in Jersey. Perfect. Uh, if I sound a little bit off, it's because I'm in the midst of COVID. It is day five of me catching it for the very first time. Uh, I must say, it is not a pleasant experience, but I think my voice sounds better. Not sure. Uh, can you verify that for me, Dennis? <laughs> yeah. A thousand miles on anchor podcast, is it? So, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, mate, glad that you're uh, on the mend. And, um, <clears throat> it, yeah, I, uh, I don't think I've had COVID yet. You have not had it, I don't think so. no, not well. I've, <laughs> I've tested myself a few times, you know, like in situations, and I've never tested positive. And funny enough, this is kind of strange. I mean, back in the UK, I usually get lots of, well, not lots, but I usually get at least one or two bad flus, and uh, I've not even had that. So, um, um, I'm, I'll probably be sick next week, but anyway, it's, it's been okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I, I, I'm over in Asia in just over two months, but the impending winter doesn't take too much of a toll in the next two months. So, um, anyway. right. Yeah, so it's not a pleasant experience, uh, but like I said, no, uh, no, one, no. Of, one of the upsides is uh, there is uh, my voice sounds better, so maybe after this, I might just go and uh, join a late night radio talk show, uh, make some extra money. <laughs> well, you haven't mentioned that Manchester United beat um, my team in the week, but I know you you would bring that in at some stage, so I thought... Yeah. Uh, to, to be honest, no, because everything has been hazy. Uh, it, 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 it is, you know, one of the symptoms of COVID is uh, you will start to be, you will start to feel very tired uh, and you will have brain fog. Uh, and yes, I do. I'm very extremely tired. I'm suffering from this headache, the size of the 6-3 defeat that Man City gave Manchester United. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah my nose is stuffed. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so it's just like, uh, operating almost on uh, what would the word be on uh, uh, just automatic mode actually uh, uh-huh. yeah so so it's going to be an interesting experience to try and record the podcast and try to sound coherent uh, but let's see let's see how we go because I think yeah. we have not done it for two weeks uh, and I think right. yeah. this is actually the 52nd if not or 53rd episode if I'm not wrong uh, and really, that means we are in a new cycle of uh, one, uh, another new cycle for a whole year of new episodes. Uh, so maybe the new target we should aim for is the 100th episode, and then maybe we can do something special. Yeah. Okay, so today, I think what we want to talk about uh, was, I, I sent you something, uh, and that was because uh, there was a little bit of, uh, maybe if I can give the, our listeners some context, uh, Michael Fullen, practically everyone knows who Michael Fullen is. Uh, he is a preeminent author uh, in the area of education and educational change, and more importantly, in the professional development of teachers. Uh, and he shared with a group of uh, teaching and learning mentors in Singapore on his vision on why there are reasons to be optimistic as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, and as we continue in our journey to make teaching and learning meaningful and relevant for both students 
and teachers as well. So there is a there is, uh, and I will summarize this uh, in the podcast and I will put it as a link so that people can uh, can access it. Uh, but what I found interesting was, uh, and we are going to dissect each and every one of these uh, six reasons that he says we can be optimistic about in the future. Does that sound good? Yeah, in fact, yeah, Michael um, Folland uh, has done a lot of work in Singapore and um, uh, I've met him a few times and had some good conversation with, with him. Really yeah. not <clears throat> well. And um, I would say his work um, in terms of quality, the extensiveness of the evidence that he draws on is really second to nobody. Right. Right. But he as well um, following. Okay, so he says six reasons to be optimistic for about learning in 2022. Uh, and he terms this, uh, okay, I think he's gone into this area of new pedagogies for deep learning. Uh, we will unpack that in a separate episode. Uh, but let's look at some of the reasons that he has given. But I just want to set the context, okay? Now, while he says that there is a lot of optimism, okay, uh, we can look forward to, uh, and I'm going to read this off verbatim. At the same time, the next period could go horribly wrong. Uh, there is a vacuum now. Bad things fill vacuums faster than good things do. Now, he says, my six optimistic reasons are not automatic. They provide a platform for what's worth fighting for. The hard work remains to be done. Okay, The quality of our future, maybe even our existence, depends on our individual and collective uptake of these six interrelated themes. So let's jump straight into it. The first one, escaping a bad system. I'm going to give you the context and then I want us to talk a little bit yeah, about you it. Want I want you to comment yeah, on that. Yeah, okay. I, want, yeah, um, I want you to give me your perspective on, on what, what he means when he says this and for you to also maybe share your thoughts and how we can uh, really contextualize this for people maybe here in Singapore and also people from Jersey and maybe even for people around the world. Yeah, okay. absolutely, absolutely. Because um, what he basically goes on to say is that the existing system, and he's talking, he's drawing from global experiences, isn't every school, um, etc. But he's looking at the world globally, and he's, he's, his statement is that the existing system is stultifying. And he's evidence based for this, based on the feedback. And as I said, uh, uh, Michael Fullen is thorough in terms of his research. Something like 75% of students are bored um, and alienated. Now, if you take those two words, well, bored, um, Tony Wagner in, in the book, The Achievement Gap, who again spoke to students in many, many countries. And what he found, even in so-called advanced classes in high-profile schools, that um, students were c complaining about, you know, boring lessons, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think we have to say to ourselves, if a lot of students, even those who supposedly would have initial fairly high motivation to um, participate in school activities, are saying this, uh, that means something. Now, the word alienated is an interesting one. Um, it has some of its roots in um, 
structural functionalist thinking, Emil Durkheim, one of the person who talked about kind of anime and alienation and these things. It's a kind of worrying term because it means that the students, not just a board at school, but it goes beyond school that in life they're feeling disengaged, a lack of meaning. And certainly if you look at the, I mean, we, we've done a couple of podcasts on this, um, you know, students who um, we talked about mental health issues and concerns for well-being. And certainly in the UK, I don't think you can watch one night of television without some item about um, people having mental health issues and feeling alienated. If you look at, um, we, we did a podcast, didn't we, on um, Jordan um, Peterson yep. rules. One of the things he talks about is the, you know, the alienation, the lack of meaning uh, for many people, especially the young. And um, so certainly um, this statement, escaping a bad system, if we take it to education, well, what is that bad system? Um, I think it, it, there's a number of factors that make that a bad system, make yep. a bad system. And one is a curriculum that doesn't seem particularly relevant to young people living in the world as they experience it today, that we're teaching stuff that they're not connecting with, they're not feeling it's meaningful, and they're looking at a world where it's, you know, we talk about the VUCA world, volatile, um, what is it, unpredictable, um, uh, what's it called, what's the C sound for, um, confusing, ambiguous, whatever. Complex. Complex. Complex, yeah, that kind of thing. That, that there's a mismatch between the reality that people are experiencing, and it is a challenge, and it is a difficult reality, and the curriculum that seems to be kind of sterile. Not all of it, but we, we you know, these are generalisations. You know, bit it's sterile and benign. And um, what's kind of happened is that with COVID, one of the things that Michael talks about is it's it's kind of instead of students going into classrooms, that all of a sudden we've had to kind of uh, do this stuff online. And it's maybe challenged what we do in classrooms to the extent to which that, well, maybe what we do across the curriculum needs to in some ways significantly change as well so what he's saying is that maybe covid and the movement away from uh, a lot of the face-to-face stuff has said well hold on a minute maybe this is time for us to improve the educational system and in particular things like curriculum and the way we teach so that's my kind of summary on that okay what do you think okay so what i i just wanted to 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 read that just in case uh people are just trying to get some kind of a link to what you just said uh and number one why he says there is a lot of optimism to be uh, had in learning is one is because 2022 we are coming out of covid we are escaping a bad system so uh <clears throat> it, it, in fact he already says it, way back already in 2019 before covid even struck it was terrible. And you did give us that that uh, insight to why it is so. Equity problems, VUCA world, students are bored. Uh, lecturers maybe uh, or teachers not uh, finding it uh, difficult to do uh, good quality teaching and learning. Uh, and I think even Michael Fuller says inequality was baked into society and worsening. Now, what he then says is, in retrospect, we will acknowledge that we were fortunate to be jolted out of a bad system that was harming most of us. Hence, that silver lining in COVID. Okay? Yeah. Uh, indeed, uh, escaping a bad system is reason number one for being optimistic. Now, 
would you then say so my thoughts on this would be is is it really a bad system okay so you must understand where i'm coming from i'm biased because i come from a relatively decent or good system from singapore uh, the best in the world mate yeah i still so, say that i say that wherever i go yeah so how then do we make sense of a bad system when we have absolutely no inkling of what a bad system is uh, don't get me wrong this is not an arrogant statement uh, and no. people who are listening should not be writing in and saying, oh, you know, how can you be so arrogant? So No, no, that's not my point. My point would be is we do not suffer from a lot of these things of inequality and so forth. Mm-hmm. So how then does that make sense in a system like Singapore? What does or how then do we escape from our system, which is generally viewed quite positively from around the world, mm-hmm. to something that could be even better? So while ours may not be a bad system, ours can be a, what I would call a better system. Now, having seen both sides of the coin, because you are now back in Jersey, yeah. and also taught in Singapore, how then do we bridge that gap? And what is it that we can see for Singapore to think about if maybe escaping a bad system doesn't make sense for most Singapore teachers at this point in time? Uh, you have really put me um, in a situation there because if I look at the Singapore system and um, I have actually you know written some articles of what yep. can be learned from the Singapore education system and so I'm known here to be a supporter of the Singapore system. Uh, I think all the Singapore system can do to improve is incremental and that is yep. the thing about Singapore that I so much is that kind of when you talk about arrogance the thing about singapore it's not arrogant that's what i like about it it's it does some great things without any sense of hubris whereas in some western countries and i'm going to be very careful what i say exactly I'm not talking about jersey jersey is a small island it's it's not governed by england it's got its own state and I would say, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jersey is one of the really good places globally. I'm not saying that because I'm in Jersey. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't be staying here. It is, in in a sense, just a little bit like Singapore because it's got its own kind of bit of a bubble. It's an island. It's self-governing. It's a place that banking, finance industry, and... Um, it's uh, you, you could say you know it's a generally affluent place. That's not to say everybody's millionaires, uh, and I'm certainly not one of those. Um, but it's not a society. We don't have you know we don't have an unemployment. Um, yeah, it's a very expensive place. I think um, the figures show that Jersey is taking. Well, it depends on what matrix is or matrices or whatever you use. It's one of the most expensive places in the world. And, um, yeah, a lot of people here will say it's an expensive place. Yeah, okay. But it's a bit of a bubble. So I'm looking at probably the UK and what I see, my experiences and contacts. Yeah, that that probably um, I <laughs> would fit many of it. Again, in the UK, what you've got to remember is that you've got I, um, you've got a variety of types of school and different areas would have different issues. But I would say if you look at if I look at the English system, um, I can see what Michael uh, Fullen is referring to. Yeah, without doubt. But sadly, there is a hubris about the UK. Now, you only have to follow what's happening politically here to see 
does anybody have to say? <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to know more on that. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's. Um, yeah. Uh, so. So I, yeah. I I think yeah so I think to 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 maybe uh and, and yes uh as we always say we never actually rehearse any of this podcast yeah. so uh yeah so I, I'm just going to give you my two cents worth and then we'll move on to the second point yeah uh so again I think well we don't really have a bad system we can have a better system and, and what do I mean by a better system I I think uh and this will probably be related to point number three in a minute but let me just go back to why I see this uh one of the hard things to do is because we are such an open economy uh, and I don't and I'm not even an expert in economics I'm just speaking from a layman's point of view uh, and when trends happen or when things become more important or become the focal point and let me give you a quick example right now we are talking about uh, tech you know technology and maybe data is becoming very important uh, you talk about the I 4.0 revolution where data is important, technology is important. That has now also translated into education. And I'm also talking about things like sustainability. What kind of role does sustainability play in education? Now, when we talk about a better system, I mean a system that's a little bit more agile, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more, uh, I would say, more, uh, a bit more in tune with what, the world wants what the world needs, that we are able to respond a little bit faster. Now, when the whole country responds, and because Singapore is so tiny and so small, we can actually do a coordinated effort quite quickly. Having said that, I still think we could be faster. Uh, because I think everybody is asking, arguing, and, and, and I think it all goes back down to uh, how much say do teachers actually have? Because we teach a national curriculum, so they don't really have a say in deciding, I'm going to class, I'm going to teach this. They probably have a say in the way they teach, but not what they teach. So I think that's something that maybe we could think about in terms of a better system. I'm not saying it's a bad system again, don't get me wrong. It has worked for us for many years and it can continue to be better. So that's my thoughts on that, escaping a bad system and for Singapore to be in a better system. Okay, yeah, 100% follow that. But Mark, yep. when, when I arrived in Singapore, <coughs> yep. the first conference I went to was Thinking Schools Learning Nation. And yep. Go Jok Tong, who was the Prime Minister there, again, a really delightful chap. chap met him a mm. few times and um, had a long conversation with his wife once at the airport. And um, um, the old concept, Thinking Schools Learning Nation, what a great theme. And I remember Go Chok Tong, in the conference saying that we want everybody in Singapore, whatever their level or whatever job they're doing, to be thinking about how they can improve you know, their jobs and work uh, the best they can. And that's why we had a big, we spent three or four years um, developing the thinking curriculum to promote more critical, creative metacognition in the school system. So um, you've been doing the right things. And the um, you know, going back to what I said about kind of Singapore, it's it it has recognized it's gone it's very much evidence-based now i don't know if john atty is still the main advisor to um research in singapore but um when we were working on the intrinsic motivation um project um john um was the um the advisor to that committee and i think he helped um the fact that we were doing it from an evidence base um <laughs> 
I think you know one of the reasons that the work got um, approved. So Singapore keeps being metacognitive about its own system. And yeah. the things that I liked about Singapore, it recognised that teachers were doing too much work in the sense you can't teach 20 hours a week do the pastoral stuff do the admin do the reports etc you know i mean who was it um jose Mourinho when he was manager i think it might have been chelsea turning around and saying it's inhuman for uh, footballers to play two games a week that's three hours and they get paid half a million a week some of them for this what teachers are expected to do um in many parts of the world, in many schools, it's not tenable. And in fact, I think it's Andy Argreaves who, um, and I, yeah, who, who works quite closely with Michael Fullen. I remember him saying that you know, if if, if teachers can't, do it, I won't do it. It don't get done. And what's being asked of teachers in many parts of the world is it's it's not doable. You, you, at the end of the day, you can't expect them to be looking looking at the you know what is good teaching designing uh, effective uh, efficient and creative lessons doing the online work dealing with all the issues and particularly in some countries where you've got a lot of discipline problems in school which you don't have in singapore and there's yeah. reasons for that um but in singapore there's been a big effort to reduce the admin teachers are getting 100 hours of professional development that they get paid to do they're given time to do action research they've got time to sit in classrooms a lot of teachers in the uk are just they're just getting through the day it's just a question of let's get things done it's not about how good it is and that's what's you know when we talk about escaping a bad system a lot of what we've got in some countries um is is a bad system and that that's the reality of it and that's what mike was talking about uh, singapore all singapore has to do quite simply is continue what it's doing and not be influenced by other countries that pretend that they are better on human rights issues and other things but it's basically not true and it's hubris and it's it's don't stay with being Singaporean. Um, I think you know it's as good as it gets. Okay, cool. So let's move on to number two. Uh, and that is, I think this is quite interesting, recognize and working with our best allies. I'm going to read the statement and then I want you to jump in. The longer that COVID has persisted, the more that students and teachers recognize that change in learning is needed. While teared to the bone in the short run, more and more students and teachers want change in learning compared to what they had before. More powerfully, they see each other as allies. That's interesting. Uh, rather than as enemies. They are ready to put in the effort to develop new ideas. Parents too will end up being supporters. Our best partners for learning are right at our doorstep. So can you just share with us then your thoughts on this and what does that look like in the future? When he says that it's optimistic, what does that ally relationship will look like with students and teachers? Oh, well, well, it's spot on there. Remember when we worked with um, Professor John Marshall Reeve on the Intrinsic yep. uh, Motivation Project? John Marshall uh, Reeve is uh, quite famous for introducing the concept of agentic engagement, which is not just students being behaviourally, cognitively and emotionally invaded in, engaged in learning, but also to be taking more responsibility, uh, expressing their feelings, working with teachers, asking questions. And he talks about the importance of um students 
sorry, teachers communicate <laughs> to students through the way they use autonomy supporting style. We did a podcast on that. Maybe we need to do another one. Um, that we've got to communicate to students that we are their allies. It isn't the question of it's them and us, and we're here to catch you out. And when we catch you out, we've got to find some sanctions to punish you. You know, it felt like that when I was at school with many teachers, but there were some who really communicated a genuine interest and made a massive difference. And we know that teachers make a massive difference. That's a given. But with the pressure of a lot of systems and the conditions that people are working at, teachers are just trying to kind of keep their head above water in many cases. And it's very hard then to um, kind of spend that time and build those relationships with students. But what's happened with the COVID thing is that teachers have had to work in a different environment, often online. And, and it, look, most teachers want to do a good job. They are motivated. You know, yeah. That's the nature of the profession. And most students want to be successful. They might not like school for many reasons. I mean, one is, that, as Daniel Willingham says, why students don't like school is because they're made to think and the brain, you know, is not designed <laughs> to think it. But equally, um, if they're having to do stuff that they don't see meaningful and, you know, they feel that, um, you know, they're wasting their time, it makes it even worse. So somehow there's a bit of a normative convergence going on that sort of teachers are having to say to students, how can we make this work better for you? And students are recognising, hold on a minute, we've got to put a bit of a shift in here as well. And collectively, I think, it should be. I mean, the, the we, we worked in Singapore, if you remember, we had student co-participants in the research. Remember that? Yep. And I used to meet them in Starbucks. And yep. let me, I spent quite a lot of my own money buying them Starbucks because isn't it funny how they seem to be more intelligent and more, um, more, um, keen to participate when you're in Starbucks rather than the the local coffee shop. But they were good anyway. But what was interesting is we worked with students as co-participants when we did research. So we wanted to know how they felt in classrooms, what was working, what kind of methods, what kind of relationships were best for their learning. And that, and that was great because that's what it should be like, that mm. working with students and saying, look, okay, we're here to help you learn, to help you develop yourself, to help you be successful, to meet your goals. But this is the thing that's different, I think, in Singapore than some other countries, is that in Singapore, what there is is a strong, and it goes right through the school system, sense of responsibility for students, it's not just you have rights, rights, rights. If I look at a lot of what occurs in parts of the UK and other countries, there's this constant talk about this is your rights, this is your rights, entitlement. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with giving, of course people should have rights, but it's got to be merged and I think we talked about this when we talked about Jordan Peterson, there's got to be responsibilities and I think that um, if schools now and learning relationships are based on, look, we are allies, we're, we're trying to create the best learning experiences that can help you to meet your goal. But it's not a question of, uh, well, teachers do all the work and students sort of, uh, sort of say, well, this, that and the other and can complain and not put a shift in. It's got to be a two-way process. And I think if that, that's got to be a new learning relationship. And, you know, John Atty... Uh, 
again, invisible learning was talking about the ideal thing is when teachers are also students and uh, students also teachers, and we're all trying to share um, our experiences, put collective effort in to get the best pedagogic arrangements, the right methods, and we know a lot more about teaching, and that's one of the things that's going to crop up. Then there is the potential for a much better type of learning relationship and as Carl Rogers said that you know the facilitation of relationships is so central to the learning process so yeah it's, it's such a big area it makes perfect sense yeah okay so I I, I think that's that's perfect because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think that that's that's perfect because uh, I, I I agree with you um, and I think we are really shifting away from what the, the old model the 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 Jurassic Park model of doing things to students. Uh, I think we want them to be, you know, taking control, as you rightly mentioned, you know, John Marshall's Rees work, getting them to be more self-directed. What does that mean? Getting them to own the learning process and not just uh, being, you know, uh, recipients of an outsourced model. So I, th- I think that that is something that uh, uh, we, we will be doing more of. Uh, and I think that also serves as a good opportunity for us to then build better relationships with students. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And but students have got to also know that they've, you know, there is a tough world, and um, and um, a lot of the challenges that they face are existential challenges. That means that in life, some days you feel low. Not everything works in relationships. Sometimes people are unkind to you, and you know, life's full of challenges. And they've got to develop the resilience, the grip to deal with that as well. Not oh, everything's not right for me. Therefore, I've got some kind of psychological condition, and I need this. You know, that kind of thing, which I think you know is occurring. Um, certainly. Um, in parts of the UK, um, from what I get from TV, and in other countries, that is, you know, that that's equally dangerous. Yeah, we've got to support students who have special educational needs. I'm not disputing all of that, but the thing is, kind of, um, people, students have got to realise that yeah, it's a tough world, and sometimes you're going to get, you know, you're going to get knocks back, knock backs, and knockbacks and you've got to develop your own resilience to this so if teachers and students work together I think you can have a much better um, sense of well-being all round and um, we'd have better learning processes going on in educational institutions. Okay cool which brings us really related to point number three uh, which is quite interesting because uh, I think this is something that for Singapore I think we are now starting to take this a little bit more seriously uh, and number three is well-being and learning are joining forces. Uh, and I'm going to read the context and then I want your thoughts on this. It was never a good idea to let learning become an academic island. After one year of COVID, we realized that well-being was essential to learning. Almost two years, we are concluding that well-being is also learning. Uh, maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit more later. What exactly does he mean when he says that well-being is also learning? Now, in addition to the importance of academic knowledge, most people know that human qualities are essential, like compassion, reliability, teamwork, and so forth. Okay, overall, good at learning and good at life will become the new goal. Is this how you see things happening in the future then? 
Yeah, 100%. And it makes perfect sense. If you remember, if we go back to, you know, my experience in Singapore, um, and we go back to the history of Singapore a little bit, that for a while, Singapore, if we go back 30 years, probably, it was very much of, let's try to make it efficient, right? Let's mm. look at going on in the world, let's model it, let's make it. Exactly. And then Singapore realised, hold on, we're doing very well with achievement tests, but hold on, are students really thinking, uh, are they developing good cognitive skills? And that's when we, you know, we had the, the thinking schools learning nation thing. And um, Singapore really addressed that well. And um, then we, we developed that type of cognitive thing. So Singaporean uh, education was not just seen as students passing exams, but also coming top of leagues. Uh, I mean, when yeah. I talk about, you know, the kind of tables, the, the metrics is that they use. Also on problem solving and creativity. So the kind of notion that Singaporeans students only did well because they worked 16 hours a day and they were beaten up you know by the system and it was all based on attrition suddenly that argument started to fall apart there's still people in the west who would say that the singapore system's like that but they don't know it and uh, i think they're being incredibly naive um when they uh, make those kind of statements today but then we recognize in singapore that, hold on a minute um we do need to um, develop um, aspects of character. And uh, we had campaigns in Singapore like the kindness campaign and graciousness and things like that. And that was kind of touching on this thing that, hold on a minute, we don't want students who are just doing well at exams. We want students who, hold on a minute, have a sense of local identity, but also an awareness of being a global citizen. And that's where value started to become a big part of it. If you look at the Singapore system, there are now equally core values that relate, I think, to very evidence-based moral principles. And if you draw on Sam Harris's book, um, The uh, Moral Landscape, that we've got to have people who are well-rounded, who understand themselves, their needs, are able to manage sort of personal wants and needs with the need for us to work collaboratively, the teamwork, work with other people. And if we're nice to other people, um, they're more likely to be nice to us, the compassion bit. All of those things, we don't just want to have selfish um, people who are, are good at kind of technical things and Looking at the world now with the environment and global conflict, there's got to be a, a, a wider, more holistic sense of the person and well-being. And that's one of the big challenging areas of education at the moment, isn't it? And we were doing that uh, in Singapore. Uh, I'm kind of very involved in that aspect of it now. We want people who can think well, but also to be able to understand that our brain and our minds are confused entities and our moods can change. I mean, the, the writings are out there, the work of Michael Apter, Chimiotinsky, Mahali. I think I've gotten very near to pronouncing that. Stephen <laughs> Pinker. I mean, the, the, managing the mind holistically and not just cognitively and the way we interact with other people and the types of association that we form. And Michael Fullen goes on, doesn't he, to talk about changes in systems, relationships, leadership styles and all these things. We've got to add the development of the old person based on what we now know about the mind and the brain. And it's a challenging entity, but it's got to be essential for the future of humanity because... 
Um, without that, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, it really is a worry. As Michael Fullan said, we can go one way or we can go another way. Um, you know, it's like looking at the universe. It could be pregnant um, with hope in, in, in the sense that there is a, a massive meaning to the universe. It's thriving with life. There's something way, way important. Or it could be just a big mechanical system of nothingness. And we are the freaks of the universe. We just don't know. But um, what do we want to be? Do we want to be optimistic? Do we want to try to, you know, make this a sustainable planet? Do we want to have people who are developing as human beings? And we've got to frame that carefully. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very exciting open field. So I can see why he's saying we can be optimistic. And if we are optimistic and we do the right things, particularly in education, but education is only one part of the wider system. And that's why teachers are so important because teachers globally, if they are teaching stuff that is more relevant and obviously it's not just teachers it's the old system if teachers are told to teach stuff that is not working you know the bad system then you know that, that they're in a terribly uh difficult situation um they are a key part of the team but it's like having some good footballers but a shocking manager um that kind of thing yeah Okay, so I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I totally agree with you because uh, I think, you know, for the longest time, Singapore has always looked at efficiency as one of the models um, and also about, you know, making sure that it is about survivability, about building the economy. So when you talk about well-being uh, and as learning itself, that is, I think, uh, quite a radical shift in terms of the way we view education. Uh, I'm not saying that the, the the Ministry of Education of Singapore uh, education doesn't uh, value that it does but it has always been about survival but it's interesting that Michael Fullan says that that is something that something to look forward to something to be optimistic about and I and I and I'm happy that we are doing that because I think Singapore's not always just about chasing after uh, that next uh, pot of gold so to speak so yeah so so that's number three let's move on to number four uh, and this one's going to be interesting so I would love to get your thoughts on this. Number four states, new, more powerful forms of learning are on the rise. Uh, and I'm going to read this. Three forces for better learning are converging. One consists of new purpose, belonging, meaning, and global competencies. A second involves equity and thriving for all becoming deeply integrated in all learning. And three, the third consists of breakthroughs in the science of learning and development related to immersive whole child learning with respect to pedagogies, partnerships, learning environments, and leveraging on digital. So can you just maybe summarize this for us? What, was th what would that look like in layman's language and why we should be optimistic? Okay, well, I think we've probably done about 12 podcasts or more that have touched on all of those areas. Now, the new purpose is, in, in a sense, it's escaping the bad system. It's, it's, it's having a curriculum that has more relevance to the existential conditions that people are now living in, you know, to find meaning and purpose. But moving on to global competencies, the so-called 21st century skills, and, you know, the C's community 
communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity, etc. The big one that we focused on, and we've done a couple of sessions on that, is the, the metacognitive capability. When we talk about critical and creative thinking, they are types of thinking, but they are part of a bigger model of thinking, okay? In, in the sense that those types of thinking have got to be developed and managed, and that is metacognitive capability, right? The application of... Um, what we know about metacognition, the ability of human beings, as we are talking here, we are reflecting on what we're saying and we're trying to make it interesting with a bit of fun and at the same time relevant and not saying things that are not empirically based, or at least um, as we know it. So going back to this point is we want people who can self-regulate and self-direct and that's fundamental if you think about it if people are able to manage their thinking think better be more aware of the emotions and sometimes the unconscious urges that are not you know things that we all like i mean freud freud was right on many things when he talked about the existence of the id you know these unconscious wants and fantasies that are often very selfish so we've got to be able to manage those aspects of ourselves and that is so important to well-being and the fact that we also um, are socialized into a society and we have certain beliefs and sometimes we've got to look at these beliefs and say hold on a minute how valid are they in the modern context so managing yourself these kind of uh, new skills the global competencies yeah problem solving is important but we've always had to solve problems it's just that they're perhaps more complex now um and um we've always had to communicate and collaborate maybe that's even more important now given the threats you know of kind of nuclear catastrophe and you know the environmental threats so we do need to have a a reframing of purpose, meaning, and what are the key things that we want to develop in human beings. The educational aims issue is big. Now, the equity and thriving, we know that there is in the world, and in, you know, it varies from society to society, but a lot of inequality and equity issues. Now, I'm not at all <laughs> advocating any kind of um, sort of Marxist doctrine. <laughs> It's Jurassic Park, I mean, to be frank. Inequality is embedded in the human condition. But it's how we manage that. At the end of the day, I could turn around and say, oh, it's not fair that I'm not playing for Manchester City. Well, I'm not good enough. So you've got to recognise that kind of inequality is something that's embedded. What we don't want is it to be extreme and pernicious to people that um, who are doing their best uh, but not get an opportunity, at least in significant areas of life. And that's why we talk about educational equity. We want to say, look, let's have a system of education. I think Singapore is, you know, fundamentally uh, one of the leaders globally in that. It's, you know, in Singapore, all kids have an opportunity, irrespective of their economic background, to be successful in the educational system and beyond that in terms of the skills future of that. But you, at the end of the day, some some people will work harder than others. And, you know, and, and, and if you work harder and you achieve more, then perhaps you're entitled to, to more rewards. But, but the idea of trying to use equity where possible um, to give people opportunity, I think makes really good sense. And the last one, look, it's our area. What are we, you know, we... We talk about evidence-based creative teaching and our old model of education and teaching and curriculum is based on, well, 
what teaching methods work best, how and why, and how does this connect with the science of learning, which is you know, fundamental to teaching. I mean, look, physics underpins aerodynamics, and that's why when you get in a plane and it's full of metal and um, there's all that luggage and you think, well, how does this thing stay in the air, particularly in storms, because there are laws <coughs> of physics underpinning this now we know in education that there is better teaching and it's not fad and fashion and it's not based on social constructivist theory or this theory and that theory it's based on real increasing empirical knowledge about how the brain and how the mind works and how these systems sometimes don't work terribly well and as teachers we are challenged to take this knowledge and be highly professional, work collaboratively and try to design learning environments and learning experiences and relationships with students. And hopefully with the most useful, relevant knowledge. And that's always difficult to define because knowledge is increasing exponentially. And that's what makes the old educational system both challenging and potentially exciting. It can be a complete mess or it could be our salvation in the future. That's my summary. Okay, so that's something for us to think about. Uh, and I'm, I, I hope uh, listeners are getting a chance to digest this and getting also to think about their own ways in which they are interpreting this uh, reasons to be, optimis- uh, to be optimistic. Uh, I'm sorry I'm rushing this through a bit because uh, we are on a clock uh, because we mm. don't really rush. We don't really do more than an hour for a podcast then we just have marginal utility. Uh, so we're going to go on to number five, and that is uh, diverse leadership will grow and present new benefits. And what he says is, by diverse, I mean, as in Michael Fuller means, leaders of all ages, especially the young and people of a variety of ethnicities, genders, and backgrounds, general populations are rap- rapidly becoming more diverse. Sheer numbers will push diversity upwards. Discrimination will remain, but there's a hidden benefit here. People who struggle and move up generally make better leaders. As this becomes more known, it will result in more effective leaders becoming appointed. Uh, and he says this movement will face prejudice, but because the potential leaders will be better and more plentiful, it will gain momentum. Again, again, like I said, this is something that maybe, uh, and I hesitate to say it, but more of a, a, a Western... Uh, I would say, uh, priority, not so much maybe in Singapore. But where do you see that happening or how does that how is that going to impact teaching and learning then? Oh, that's an interesting one, Mark. To be honest about it, I mean, I think, you know, he's starting now to, as you say, get caught up in pleasing certain aspects of Western thinking. To me, that's no more, that's not different than equity and thriving. If you've got more equity and people are thriving, to me, um, this whole notion of ethnicity and gender and that to me, to me, these are uh, old conversations that uh, that we should have passed ages ago. And the um, the, the notion that look, if you're good, if you're good enough, you're young enough, and it, it shouldn't matter. What, what I noticed in Singapore, to be honest with you, that even though you've got different ethnicities and cultures, at the end of the day, um, not. Not everybody, you, you can't legislate for brotherly love. And I think there's a really big point to be made here. And I'm going to stick my neck out that often racism and gets 
gets mistaken for preference. Like, for example, I can totally understand somebody of a particular religion or a cultural background to prefer to marry or socialise with people who've got similar interests. I mean, if you think about your friends, why are we friends, apart from the fact that we're really nice people committed to education? Because the we, you know, we like certain sports, we're interested <coughs> in education, we have a sense of humour, we're open people, we recognise that we might not always agree on things, particularly if Tottenham are playing um, Manchester United, but we, we can live with that. What we've got to work with is people to be you know, more accepting of differences, but at the same time, because they might prefer to employ um, somebody who, who has got a, a better personality type for the job or whatever it is that, you know, as long as it's not over kind of discrimination, I'm not going to employ you because you're young or old um, or you're you know, this race or that race. Most people don't really will naturally discriminate. They don't naturally discriminate on those things. And I think the big danger in the West, we're getting so obsessed with this now, it can become an entitlement. So in other words, I could say, look, I'm I'm old. I would expect to some extent that people um, may not employ me in the job because they think, well, we'd rather somebody, you know, <coughs> or whatever. I, I can kind of accept that. And I think we've got to get used to the fact that kind of look, people do have preferences. And if we stop talking about this and keep making such a big issue of it, it's not such a problem. And where people who are overtly discriminating, they're the people that, you know, we should point out and say, look, you know, this isn't right. But to make it something that everybody's looking at finding, oh, well, I haven't got this because <laughs> of that. Um, I don't think that's terribly useful. I think Singapore's got it about right. That at the end of the day, my experience in Singapore is that in the main, um, maybe um, Chinese people tended to more marry Chinese people and across the board, same with Western people. And it ain't about being racist. It's just because you've got the similar interests, cultural background and that. And it's it makes sense. But I don't think evidence in Singapore, people not getting jobs because they were um, of... A particular race or, or religion, if I'm employing someone, I want the best person for a job. I'd even employ someone who supports Arsenal. So I think we've just, in, in the West, we've got obsessed with this term and it's just become a it, almost a cultural nemesis. It's, it's, but I don't think we're dealing with it very well in the West. So I'm, I'm you know, this, yeah, of course we want people to be more equity and you know leaders to be from different genders <coughs> for me that's that's just a given i mean i thought that was a given 30 years ago or 20 years ago okay maybe not 50 years ago um so that worries me a little bit that we can get obsessed with that let's just try to develop core values you know things like being kind having empathy being tolerant being gracious, looking at the evidence about things. And let's focus on that more than kind of trying to find um, this obsession with political correctness. It, to me, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just giving you my view, OK? Yeah, so that, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and I hope that was, I hope you didn't feel that, oh, Mark's just taking the easy way, let's just dump it to Dennis. Uh, that wasn't the point. Um, it's because uh, I think... We are quite proud of our diversity. Uh, and I think we more or less have it. I wouldn't say it's perfect. Uh, but I do think we do have that uh, opportunity for it to happen. So I think that's something to remain optimistic for us. 
But I'm going to end off this uh, segment by looking at the last one. Uh, believe it or not, we're already talking for almost close to an hour. Uh, time passes by. It's a big topic. We could do. We could. We could. We could continue this conversation for you know for a lot longer. I yeah. mean, in another podcast. But, but, yeah. So let's let's finish up with the last one, which is uh, number six, which is systems will begin to change. Uh, so he says, believe it or not, when dysfunctional systems don't change, they eventually are replaced. Uh, we are beginning to see radical cracks within the system toward what I would call greater action founded on principle of systemness. Okay, now he recites this as or defines this as the latter is an awareness on the part of larger numbers of people at all levels that the system needs to be changed and that such change is the responsibility of people from all levels. Okay, so I'm going to get you to make a bold prediction instead of maybe just uh, explaining this because it's quite clear. Uh, what system do you see changing in education down the road? Maybe in the next five years, what would be one radical uh, system change you would see, you would expect to see, or something for us to expect to see? Oh, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things. What I do see happening is that there's going to be a lot of rationalisation of curriculum time. There's going to be less time of there being kind of face-to-face teaching where just knowledge is being transmitted, often not in kind of good pedagogic terms. And the impact is going to be very big in vocational higher education. It's going to become... Um, much less um, based on being in educational institutions. Certainly higher education, um, uh, people are not going to be spending thousands of pounds to go and sit in lectures and listening to um, um, kind of lectures that are just packaged bits of knowledge. There's going to be a big change to people having to learn more um, in networks, collaboratively, online, maybe there's going to be a decline, I think, in vocational educational institutions having a captive audience. That's just one thing that I think is very apparent. There's lots of other things. Um, but hopefully, teachers and students being more allies, I want to see that, and I think that's going to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. My personal... I mean, it's a big, big, big area. Yeah. I, I totally agree with the part about the rationalisation of curriculum time. Uh, I totally agree with that. I would think assessment would be radically different in some form or another. Uh, a lot more skills-focused, skills-based. Yeah. Uh, and I think you will move away from, I think, pen and paper type of assessment. I personally think so. Yeah, uh, I do yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, so that's my prediction. So yeah, so that's it. That's really our sixth uh, interpretation for why Michael Fullen says that we should be optimistic about learning in 2022. So we hope you enjoyed that. So let's move on to part two, which is my favorite part of the podcast, as always. Then uh, you want to go first? Anything for you to share? Anything that you found interesting? Anything that you think people can benefit from? Well, I think uh, what we've just spoke about for the last 53 minutes um, is, is, um, is pretty, uh, pretty interesting and relevant. I mean, it, when you sent me Michael Fullan's um, thing, I looked at that and I thought, yeah, that we, we are in that landscape. And I think the most important learning is for more teachers globally, this is the thing I'd really like. And 
But again, there's reasons. I mean, the very reasons that teachers perhaps are not as engaged in the things that we're engaged in looking at this. How many teachers will look at Michael Fullan's work? Because they haven't got time. They've got this form to fill in. They've got that to do. They've got this administrative to do. This is problem. The, um, the, you know, the big, the big thing that um, keeps coming to me is, uh, is teachers having more time to really look at their practice, be supported, yeah. a greater level of professionalism, and 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 let let's try to get away from the. I want to see more organisational intelligence in educational institutions, and there is a lot in many of them. I mean, we are talking generally. I've worked like you in many schools, many institutions, and I've seen some great schools with, you know great principals a lot of quality teachers um, and that and, and that's what we want to say look in, in the uk i think the highest rate of attrition is in teaching now that says something something's fundamentally wrong isn't it yeah and that's probably not just in you know the uk but elsewhere i think um you know one thing about singapore i think you've kind of made probably and there's other countries i mean finland and you can go on and you know parts of canada that seem to have very you know there seems to be a better evolving of an educational system and wouldn't it be nice to see that more global so that's all i've got to say really okay so um for me is uh i don't have an edutech tool uh to be honest, it's because I've been down and out with COVID and the last thing I want to do is fool around with some of because it really the headache is really killing me. But uh, I want to share something and relate it to uh, what Michael Fullan talks about in terms of well-being and learning are joining forces. Uh, <clears throat> we have a lecturer who has actually left Singapore Poly to start his own company that focuses on wellness in students. Uh, and he has his own channel called Positive Arena uh, on uh, Spotify as well. It's a podcast where he offers tips and also uh, strategies for where teachers can make use of some of these positive uh, psychology methods and uh, tips in their own classroom to build uh, resilience and well mental well-being for their students. So if you are one of those who is now uh, really recognizing that well-being and learning are joining forces, I would recommend that you check out the positive arena. I will leave a link as usual in the show notes uh, so that you can go and check him out as well. Okay, so that's my sharing for the week. Uh, and as usual, we hope you enjoyed today's session. If you want to write to us, uh, please do so at evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. Once again, it is evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. So we are done for this week. What's the plan for the rest of the week, uh, for the weekend then? Uh, for me, for the weekend, I've got a fair bit of work to do, um, possibly some stuff in Malaysia. So when I come over, I might, uh, I might be staying a little bit longer. Um, That's good doing some of that so and also got work to do here and uh, I would try and chill out and enjoy the uh, the Premier League football um, a little bit more than what I did Tottenham's game against Manchester United let me add and also um, I need to get down to the gym I've not been in a gym for <clears throat> a week so I'm getting a little bit kind of chubby <laughs> okay so you take care yeah. uh, hopefully I get up to speed soon and then we will yeah. have I will sound better next week when we speak to you again. So take care, everyone. Have a good and safe weekend. Take care and goodbye. And goodbye from me.